Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Awfully glad to uh, have a little time with you this afternoon. I hope your day has been going well. And I hope uh, the rest of your evening is just as good. It's really nice when we can spend the whole day with the Lord. And I am really glad that we can spend a couple hours together. And if you listen to the podcast at night, I'm so glad that you tune in and catch what's been happening at Faith Radio. You can always go to MyFaithRadio.com and go to the afternoon show page. Because today is one of those days where you're going to want to tell your friends and they're going to go to the podcast and make sure they catch all of it because my in-studio guest is Sky Jathani. He has written a book called What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? Very provocative topic. I'm looking forward to asking him all kinds of questions. And uh, he's here with me right now along with Justin Jepson, who is formerly uh, also known as 007 from uh, Guy Talk on Thursdays. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi, Bill. did you know he was 007? No. What does that mean? Well, he's this mysterious person. First of all, he's got great hair, <laughs> and he's got that youthful good looks, you know, and you never know if he's going to come to Guy Talk or not. So, you know, it's kind of what, what Bond would do. Are you in the running for Daniel Craig's replacement? <laughs> he should be. I wish. That's actually what I'm about. That's actually my new endeavor. After, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. Well, I, well, look at this. We can't compete with this, right? Well, we are follically challenged, obviously, <laughs> both of us. <laughs> So, yeah. So congratulations on What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer. Tell me about this title. Where'd you get this idea? Uh, Well, it's a sequel to What If Jesus Was Serious. Of course. Which which was the first book uh, all about the Lord's, I was going to say the Lord's Prayer, about the Sermon on the Mount. Sorry. Um, So this is a sequel, and I'm actually just working on the third one, which is What If Jesus Was Serious About the Church, which will, you know, ruffle some feathers probably. more than the prayer book. People tend to not to get upset about prayer, but church, they have opinions about. So we'll mm. see. Yes, they do. They, they also are, um, they get prayer wrong often. Um, Most of the time, I yeah. would say. Let's talk about that premise just to get things started. Uh-huh. How is it we do prayer wrong? Well, I mean, it's kind of weird to say you're doing prayer wrong. I, I know. You can't really <laughs> do prayer wrong. I, although I'll make a case you can. Um, <laughs> I, I think part of it is we define it too narrowly. We think of prayer primarily as communication, right? I'm talking to God. Maybe if you come from some kind of Pentecostal or charismatic background, it's God's talking to me, but it's communication. And I think that's, a, that's true. It's, it's not wrong, but it's too limiting. I think when you look at the biblical um, models of prayer we have, they're far deeper than just communication. It's about communion, mm-hmm. about abiding in the presence of God. And that means it's something that can continue throughout your day, throughout your activities. Um, And then the other piece of it is I think many of us carry what is essentially a pagan understanding of prayer, which is if I say these words or I do these rituals or I engage in this um, religious activity, God is in some way obligated to respond and act in a way that I favor. And that is obviously not the biblical model of prayer, though it's what's often taught. Like, you know, I could name popular books on prayer that have been around for decades, which essentially are incantations. They're magic spells. 
you say these words and God will do what you want. Isn't and, it kind of an input-output theory? Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it views God as this impersonal force, like from Star Wars or something. And if you just figure out the right way to manipulate him, he'll do what you want. And that's religion 101. That's what all human religion tries to do. And the Christian model of prayer is not about controlling or manipulating God. It's about relating with God, mm-hmm. which means the only wrong way to pray is prayer that's not honest, that's not transparent and truthful about where you are. And that's what you see in the Psalms, for example, is brutal honesty with yeah. God in a way that's probably uncomfortable for most of us in a contemporary American setting. Don't we all come to God kind of as mercenaries, though? Oh, yeah. When we come to him in prayer, at the be- especially at the beginning. Absolutely. Give me, give me help me, give me, help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't think that's me, wrong. Me. I mean, yeah. there isn't a story of Jesus turning away somebody who right. asks for his help. The problem is too many of us stay there. Mm-hmm. We think that that's sufficient, and it's it's a very juvenile way of thinking about prayer. I mean, if you have children, no one gets upset with a toddler or four or five-year-old who comes to you wanting something. That's what children do. If my 19-year-old still interacted with me the way she did when she was five, we have a problem, <laughs> right? It's mm-hmm. either a failure of parenting or there's some kind of cognitive disability on her part, but something isn't as it ought to be. And yet we tend to celebrate that in the church where we think if people are utterly dependent on God in, in these very juvenile ways in prayer, that's a sign of maturity. It's not. It's a sign of, of spiritual retardation. Hmm. And so we need to come to a full maturity in prayer, which is uh, a deep abiding intimacy and transparency of one's soul with God, which is more akin to the intimacy you have in marriage rather than hmm. the dependency one has of a child with a parent all the time. So, I mean, we could play with different metaphors here, but there is a way to develop in our prayer communion with God that we just don't instruct or teach in the church very much. Yeah, I love that expression, Sky, uh, commune with God, because if I'm in the shade, I can sit and look at the ocean for six hours and, and, be, and be enraptured, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's the kind of time I want to be able to spend with the Lord. Maybe five hours of just being with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Versus a four-minute prayer that this is what I need, please produce. Yeah, and I, <laughs> but I think the harder part of it is, I mean, hopefully we have moments in our lives or, or um, things in our lives that give us a clearer vision of who God is, like sitting in the shade looking at the ocean where you're inspired. Hopefully you have places, times, things that inspire you with who God is, and you get enraptured by that. That's wonderful. The much harder part of prayer is the self-reflective part where I have to be honest about what's really inside of me and will I bring that before him? It's easy when that's celebratory or it's, it's gratitude or it's praise. It's a lot harder when it's doubt, anger, lust, greed, uh, jealousy, all the darkness that's in us. We have to, that's, those are the basic building blocks of prayer. That's what you see in the Psalms and that's self-awareness. And that's frankly what, um, especially in our technologically saturated world with our devices and phones all the time, we don't do that anymore. We don't know what's inside of us because we're so externally distracted wow. all the time. Mm. So this is, sounds really bizarre, but I would argue that boredom is a prerequisite of spiritual intimacy. In fact, it's a prerequisite of any intimacy. And there's been studies on this from secular uh, scholars looking at young people today and the struggle they have developing intimate relationships with other people because of technology. They yeah. don't know what's inside of them, so they don't have anything to share of value with someone else. Yeah. And that's what you need for prayer. Justin Jepson, please yeah. um, explain to me what he just said. <laughs> <laughs> I need some help here. Dumb, well, it down. Dumb it down for me. Well, I think Sky would do a better job with that. But I, I think what I'm hearing you say, Sky, I mean, intimacy, I've heard it defined as into me, you see, right? Yeah, and in order, in order to 
share myself, I have to know myself. Right. And if I don't know what's in me, then I can't share it with you. And if I can't share it with you, then they're really, we're at a standstill. Right. And that's true in the human relationship. It's true in the human divine relationship. Yeah. Um, one of the stories I think illustrates this best is in John's gospel, that wonderful interaction Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. Mm. And I think when I was younger, I completely misunderstood this story. But if you recall, the Samaritan woman and Jesus are talking about how you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, you are not supposed to talk to each other because they, Jews and Samaritans disagreed about worship. And Samaritan said, you had to worship God on this mountain. And Jews said, no, you worship him in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to her, ah, that's all garbage. And the hours come when the Father desires those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. I used to think what Jesus meant by that was like doctrinal truth, which just on the face of it cannot possibly be what he meant because the disagreement between Jews and Samaritans was a doctrinal disagreement about where's the right place to worship. What he means in that statement, and he's speaking to a woman who's had serial relationships of adultery, and he calls that out in her. What Jesus is saying is the Father wants people who will worship him out of the truth of who they are. Be honest with God. That's what he wants from you is the honesty to admit the truth about yourself. I don't care if you do it on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He wants honesty. And that comes out in future parables Jesus shares about the publican and the Pharisee both going to the temple. And one guy says, you know, have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. And the other one says, Lord, thank you for not making me like that guy. Mm -hmm. And so it's about honesty. That's what God wants is our honest true selves. And this woman was not being honest about who she really was. And he was calling that out in her and he calls that out in us. But if we don't have enough space in our lives to know what's inside of us, to be honest, we cannot build intimacy with God. We can't have a life of prayer. We can't have a life of worship because then what happens is we show up on Sunday, we're fed a bunch of music and songs and liturgy or whatever is going on that basically imposes upon us a joyful, happy, clappy Christianity and we go along with it because we mm. don't know what's inside of us. We can't agree or disagree with that happy, clappy Christianity mm. because we're not self-aware. We need we have no room for lament, no room for confession, no room for any of the other multitude of feelings we may have about ourselves and God because we're only allowed one thing, joyful, happy, clappy Christianity. That's mm. not how you build intimacy in any relationship, let alone with God. Yeah. This is a really smart conversation. I'm surprised yeah. to be part of it. <laughs> <laughs> it is. This is so good. Yeah. Could I follow? So oh, question please. with that, yeah. this guy, do you think one of the greatest stumbling blocks to prayer, I've heard it this way, is we actually have a fear of intimacy, uh-huh. right? Because if I, if I open up to you about what's really going on inside of me, one of the reasons why I don't do that is because, well, one, I don't know you well enough to know and to trust you with that knowledge. And I'm afraid what you might think or what you might do if you knew the worst about me. And then would that transfer as well, how sometimes we project that onto God of what he and he even this even though we know he already knows yeah. right but i think what does that look like when we actually practically make known what's going on inside of us once it's revealed to us to god in prayer i think there's some truth to that but i don't think it's the core issue i think the core issue is most of us live in self-denial toward ourselves if i were to be truly honest about what's inside of me to god the first step is I have to be honest with myself and I don't want to be honest about what's inside of me because I like to live with the impression that I am the person I'm projecting to everyone outside of me, not who I really am. Mm. So I I think anybody who has a basic understanding of the New Testament knows that God is omniscient. He sees all things. He knows all things. He's got it all, you know. So I don't think we struggle with admitting the truth to God. I think the real barrier is we can't admit the truth to ourselves. Mm. 
do I really, will I really, really admit what's true of myself to myself? That's the bigger barrier. Hmm. I was enjoying this until it got personal. Yeah, I mean, this suddenly <laughs> became a therapy you know, session. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, Scott Jathani is my guest. Jathani, Jathani, we, we go back and forth. Potato, potato. 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 That's exactly yeah. right. Just call me Sky. I just stick with Sky. Uh, <laughs> Sky is a uh, pastor. He is a uh, teacher, an author, a uh, blogger. You kind of do it all, don't you? Uh, or nothing. Or nothing. Yeah, I get that entirely. <laughs> And the book we're chatting about today is What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? Now, I love that it's a visual guide to the spiritual practice most of us get wrong. Now, the pictures in here are great. I'm a visual learner, so this has uh, caught my attention. It's perfect for immediately. radio. Immediately, yeah. <laughs> it's especially good for radio. Uh, did you do the drawings yourself? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll take credit for those because really? no one else will. Okay. <laughs> they're not that good. I mean, they're kind of back of the napkin drawings, really. They are, but you know what? They're they're very good. They're, they get your attention, mm-hmm. and you have to look carefully and... I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting. So I think we're going to take a little break, and we come back lots more with Sky and Justin Jepson. Well, we're talking to Sky Jathani, and the book uh, once again is called "What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer." We'll be right back. show so glad to have sky jathani jathani i'm gonna say it both ways to cover me because i'm having this mental block and justin jepson justin you know how to say it correctly jathani jathani yeah. or jatani either one there's yeah. a third one to add i didn't even think of that one i've heard i've heard it three ways yeah the hard the hard th is common too i don't know it's sure. have you heard jet haney yet no okay i'm gonna go i'm gonna call you jet haney <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna start a brand new trend but uh, Sky is an award-winning uh, author, pastor, uh, speaker, consultant, and we're so glad to have him on campus here at the University of Northwestern. He was a speaker at chapel today. Mm-hmm. And how'd that go, Justin? It was fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I will great. ask you because you were in charge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's long overdue. We've been trying to get Sky back to campus. Yeah. Um, I mean, since we we had him scheduled pre-pandemic, had to postpone, and then had to postpone it again last year, so... Yeah. It's been it's been good, a while. good to have him here. Yeah. Good to have him back. And he's here from the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. And uh, awfully glad that Greyhound's still working. <laughs> you know, air travel feels that way more and more, <laughs> doesn't it? The <laughs> glamour been, is gone. It would have been faster to just take the hound. Probably. Right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Sky's written a book called What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer. People like to say, Sky, that uh, prayer works. What does that mean? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> um. um what about getting answers from God? Uh, we always have our, our ideas to what the answers should look like and the time in which they should come. Is that fair? Uh, if it's honest. Okay. I, again, I think the only bad prayer is dishonest prayer. What and is that? Give me an example. Um, to not be truthful about what you really think, want, desire. Huh. Um, if you want an answer, the good prayer is to tell God, I want an answer. I, I want to know this or whatever it might be. He's under no obligation to give it to you. <laughs> yeah. Let's be clear. But to to know what's in you and be honest and present, and that's what you see in the Psalms. Where are you, God? Right. Why haven't you answered? Why, why are the wicked triumphant? I mean, all those questions that are honestly coming out of the heart of 
David and Moses and all the others, psalmists, um, that's good prayer. Good prayer is not measured by the result you get from God. Good prayer is measured by the honesty with which you present yourself before God, and he receives that, and you're building intimacy with him. Sometimes he graciously answers those things, as we as parents or fathers or mothers will do for our children. And sometimes, because we love our children, we don't answer their requests, right? That's just part of the deal. And that's where trust comes in and faith comes in. But um, if, if you have a need, desire, by all means, present it to God, but also trust him enough and love him enough that, to know that he'll give you what you, what he has for you and what he doesn't. Do you struggle with prayer? Never. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> That's why I wrote the book. That's yeah. Right. yeah. I'm an expert. I've reached right. the summit. What about you, Justin? Um, yeah, you know, it, absolutely, which is why I'm so passionate about it. Okay. You know, because I, I think that, you know, we often hear the phrase, practice makes perfect, mm-hmm. right? That does not apply to prayer. You, you, but I think practice makes passionate. And I think the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because I've struggled so much with it, but that I've experienced the fruit, not of getting a bunch of prayers answered, um, although in God's grace, I have seen a lot of answer to prayer, but it's the intimacy that I've experienced with him. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, Sky, but I feel like God's God's answers are always better than my requests, right? I mean, we could ask him, like in honesty, we make himself known, but part of sometimes of what I get back isn't, what I'm asking for, I actually get to know him better, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, I, I mean, I'll to be honest, I think there are things I have asked in prayer, in honesty, that I'm still angry I haven't gotten. There, there's the, the disappointments, losses, pains, griefs. Um, I was a pastor for years. I, I was with people in terrible loss and inexplicable death and just terrible things at times. And I don't have good answers for any of that. So despite the prayers, despite the longings, despite the desires. So that's part of the mystery of all this. And yet to your point, through all that, I think I have grown in deeper trust of God, deeper intimacy with him. um, And that's invaluable. So I, I don't, but I don't want to give these flippant answers. I think that's, again, we're into the realm of magical thinking mm-hmm. and pagan incantations where, you know, Lord, expand my territory kind of BS, which is just not helpful, where you think I'm going to do these things and God's going to make things happen the way I want. That is not Christian faith. That is witchcraft and paganism. And yet that's what an awful lot of American Christianity is when you scratch beneath the surface. It is just paganism masquerading as Christianity. Hmm. Have we learned as believers in corporate prayer to to work off a similar script? What do you mean? Um, it seems like when we're oftentimes in corporate prayer, we all pretty much say a lot of the same thing. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that, you know, when you speak to your <laughs> wife, you, you speak in an intimate way that only you can speak to her, right? I wouldn't imagine you speak that way if you're at, you know, a small group discussion with five other couples, right? right? But the intimacy that you have with God the Father, I would think would be so incredibly intimate that when we do corporate prayer, it seems like we all kind of work off the same script. We do. There's I nothing remember wrong with that, but I'm just wondering what you think. Years ago when I was a seminary student, I was a hospital hospital chaplain first semester in training anyway, and there were seminarians from a number of different Christian denominations that were with me, about, I don't know, 10 of us, Roman Catholic, Episcopalian, mainline, evangelical, like a 
flattering. And one day we were having a conversation about kind of the differences in our traditions. And I think it was a Roman Catholic who said, you know, I can always spot an evangelical when they pray. And I was like, okay, why? And he said, because you guys will insert the word just yes. all the time. Yeah. God, would you just, we just judge it. You know, it's just all, it's, it's part of how we do things. And part of that is because American evangelicalism has put a very high value in spontaneity. We think that the only really legitimate prayers are the spontaneous ones that we concoct on the fly from our feelings and emotions and initial thoughts, which is why we look for filler language, such as the word just, in order to make it flow. And um, this is the part I I struggle with a little bit. Um, We believe in this, like, I don't know if your churches are this way, but I've been a part of churches that they think written prayers are some kind of like anathema, that it's inauthentic and fake to read a pre-written prayer. And, you know, despite the Lord's Prayer, despite the Psalms, like, no, 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 you can't, that's, you can't do that. It's not realistic. It's not honest before God to use a written prayer. And yet we have no problem using other people's words as long as we put a melody to it. Like our worship is all music written by someone else, and we don't think that's inauthentic because there's a melody behind it. But if you take away the melody and it's just a prayer, now it's inauthentic. And I say all that because I think we need a lot of help learning how to pray, and that's what written prayers are for. It isn't just a recitation of an incantation or magic spell. It trains you how to think about God and how to approach God and how to engage with him. And we tend not to use those tools in our churches very much. And then we wonder why people don't know how to pray. We ignore the Psalms. We ignore the Lord's Prayer. We ignore 2,000 years of Christian prayers that are often profound and deep and and help us search our hearts and come before God. We completely ignore that because we want spontaneity. And then we get shallowness, right? We're just jumping in, in little shallow puddles rather than diving deeply into prayer because we don't allow the church to disciple us in that area because we think it's inauthentic. So anyway, all that to say the reason we all pray the same is because we're all equally ignorant and immature. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, let's go back to the word "just" because sometimes it's a it's a, a diminishing word, um, and I, I wonder why don't we say, "Lord, I I boldly ask" instead mm-hmm. of "just ask," because we need to protect God's reputation. Okay. Because if I boldly ask for something, yeah, then I'm putting Him out on a limb, and, but, and if He doesn't come through for me, then He's going to look bad. But you're boldly asking; it's God's decision as to how He's going to answer it. But then I'm going to look bad. I don't care. I don't either. <laughs> that, that's the honesty thing again. I, I think we, we always want to hedge our bets with God and protect his reputation and ours by just, just, just. Yeah. Or, but your will be done kind of stuff. And it's like, that's part of learning to be honest, right? I mean, Jesus in the garden is honest with the fathers. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I don't want to drink this cup. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die. After wrestling with God for hours and hours and hours in prayer, he finally gets to a place of, but your will be done. Mm-hmm. But it's after long hours of weeping and and pain before he gets to that place of surrender. What we do is, Lord, I want this, but your will be done. Like in the very next sentence. And we haven't gone through the genuine process of struggle Mm -hmm. of wrestling with God the way Jacob does, you know? And and we, we just get to that just or the your will be done thing super quick because we haven't been really honest. And we don't want to put ourselves out on a limb and we want to protect God's reputation. Yeah. We'll take a little break. Sky Jathani is our guest. You can go to his website, S-K-Y-E-J-E-T-H-A-N-I.com.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Nice guy. You have your own theme song? I didn't think so. <laughs> Actually, yes. You do? Hell yeah, for our podcast. Oh, okay. Is that a custom song? The Holy Post, yeah. Okay. Bill Vischer uh, sings the theme song with his ukulele. Oh, now you're dropping names. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. All right. All right. He's my co-host. I mean... Phyllis. Yeah. Oh, cool. I haven't listened to it yet. Well, you're the one. You got to check it out. I will check it out. It's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. You guys talk amongst yourselves. I'll, I'll go listen. <laughs> Come back in 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, okay. Justin, you must have a question for Sky. <laughs> yeah. I, I was wondering, Sky, in the in the intro of the book, you talk about and make the case how prayer has become this kind of parentheses. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a peripheral thing. Even you cited a study on even pastors in North America and what, how they, like, they rate certain, you know, the, their priorities in ministry and prayer was at the bottom. Right. So in a, you kind of go on to make the case like this needs to be flipped. This has to be turned on its head. But if if prayer was so central to the life and the ministry of Jesus, right, and, and you make that case of, you know, there wasn't any other question the disciples asked Jesus of to teach them how to do something, but mm-hmm. teach us how to pray, which is really a noteworthy observation. So how did we get to this place from <laughs> that to, because on one hand, prayer essentially is, it's is it is it that it's peripheral or is it that it's the wrong prayer, so to speak? Our approach to prayer has actually really central. It just needs to be replaced with a new kind of praying. No, I th- it's a good question. I think it's both. I think we we've misunderstand what prayer is, and we've pushed it to the periphery. Partly, I think the 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 reason for it is prayer is an act of dependency. It is an acknowledgement that I need help or I need God's presence in order to do what I am being asked to do. And so, I mean, we've all been in that moment where you feel utterly helpless for whatever reason. You know, you're scared literally for your life. Uh, a diagnosis comes, whatever. We've had those moments of feeling completely out of control where suddenly you find yourself in prayer. Most of the time we don't have that visceral feeling of lack of control And so if we feel sufficiently resourced to accomplish what we think we need to do, then why pray? And I think when you look at the North American church, we are the wealthiest, most resourced Christians who've ever lived in the history of the world. And foolishly, we think we have what we need to accomplish what we're called to do, which is why prayer is the very lowest priority. Hmm. If we were to see our true helplessness, our true condition— we would be praying without ceasing, as Paul <laughs> yeah. says. Yeah. So I think it's that we are delusional about mm. our sufficiency. Mm. That's why we don't pray. Mm. And then we wonder why the church in America is in the place it's in. Because we're relying on our flesh, on our on our human capacity and strength to do what is can only be done through the Spirit. Well, we feel capable. Yeah. yeah. Which you is know, great. For good reason, right? But, yeah, it's great. Sky Jathani is my guest, and his book is called What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? And in the book, he breaks down uh, prayer into several uh, smaller devotionals. And I want to talk, if if you wouldn't mind, Sky, a little bit about what prayer is and what prayer is not. Okay. What do you think it is? Or what are the popular... Well, I, I like where we're going so far, is it, it's to commune with God. Right. That part I love. And maybe I'd like to touch a little bit on what, what it's not. Well, it, I mentioned earlier, it's not just communication. Right. So it's part of it, but it's not all it is. Prayer is not just petition. 
or asking for things. It is that, but it's not just that. Mm-hmm. Um, prayer is not control or manipulation of God. It's not incantation or magic spells. Uh, prayer is not just vocal or words. So, I mean, those are all the limiting. None of those are beyond prayer, but they're not, they don't contain it in its entirety. So when you think about prayer fundamentally as communion with God, then it is an ongoing awareness of his presence such that we draw our, our being and strength and sustenance from him. It's what Jesus says in John 15 about, I am the vine, you are the branch. Abide in me and I will abide in you and through me you will bear much fruit. That abiding in the presence of Christ is what prayer is. So I think when the disciples came to Jesus in, in Luke 11 and, and elsewhere and said, teach us how to pray, they had all grown up as Jewish men in a, 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 a culture of prayer where they were taught from the time they were little children, this is how we pray and using the Psalms and all that. But they saw in Jesus something different. They saw, I think, in him an intimacy with God that was unfamiliar to for other Jewish leaders. And secondly, they saw a person who wasn't just praying in sort of the liturgical manner that Jews were taught to pray at the time, but somebody who lived in continual awareness of the Father's presence. And that's what was stunning to them. And that's what they wanted to know. So when we hopefully come to a place in our Christian lives of wanting to learn how to pray, it isn't just about, well, what are the words I'm supposed to use or what postures do I employ? It's supposed to be about how do I live a life of continual awareness of God's presence and intimacy with him? And in a lot of our Christian communities, we just we don't have any clue how to do that or communicate that or train people in that. That's a little intimidating to hear. That we're not we're not doing that very well. Well, we don't think it's important. Yeah, you know, we what we think is important is changing the world. Yeah, we're, right. we're going to teach people how to share their faith or how to defend the gospel or how to you know mobilize for activism and this issue or that issue, but we're not getting the foundation which is an intimacy with God. And that that's, I think it's really frightening, honestly. So talk a little bit about all your doodles in the book. I mean, <laughs> yeah, come on, a lot, of, a lot of them, and I, and I saw many of them. They're very cool, and they're very visual, and obviously that's the whole point, but explain how that's supposed to impact people who pick up a copy of the book. Uh, well, part of it is just I, in I. High school, college, seminary, I had to sit in a lot of lectures, even sermons, sitting in church on Sundays, right? (laughs) I doodled. I've always doodled since I was a kid. I actually have notebooks I've kept from those school years, not because of the content of the notebooks, because I I like the doodles. I want to keep my art. Um, So some years ago, I started doing doodles and putting them up on my social media or using them in my daily devotional. I was getting reactions from people to some of them. And so then this opportunity came along to do these books, and I, I just realized we live in a visual culture and some people learn better visually and the the chapters are super short yeah three pages two two, three pages with a doodle yeah with a doodle each one has a doodle and so part of it is if you're able to capture the idea in writing great if it works better for you to remember the content through the image great uh some of them are like i said super simple kind of back of the napkin things that hopefully you can replicate and communicate to someone else you know i learned this thing about prayer and you know you're at dinner and you just do it on the napkin and communicate it to someone else. So I'm just trying to employ um, a skill I developed over years of sitting in boring lectures and sermons in order to, you know, redeem that skill and use it to communicate something helpful, hopefully. And when you um, find yourself s- stuck in in a place where you have trouble praying, what is one of your 
breakthrough strategies to get sort of back on track? Stop trying. Stop trying. <laughs> I know it sounds Stop silly. Stop taking calls. We've got a winner. <laughs> uh, I, again, the, the foundation has to be honesty. Mm-hmm. So be honest. I, Lord, I can't pray right now. I don't know how to, I don't know what's going on. I, and, and then whatever does flood your mind, whatever distractions are there, bring that. This is what I have right now. Right? I, I can't stop thinking about, I don't know, the, the last James Bond movie, which I saw a couple days ago, and it's just in my head. And, and Heard I, it was good. Yeah, yeah it was good. <laughs> right. I, I, I could talk about movies all day long. Okay. But anyway, like, okay, honestly, the Daniel Craig James Bond, the reason I, he was fine. The part I didn't like about him is he's just so angsty and, like, grumpy. I, I think James Bond should be more fun than that. But he's angsty and grumpy. So, okay, I can't get James Bond on my mind. You know what, Lord, Lord? I've been really angsty and grumpy lately, too. Yeah. And what's behind that? I need to. So use whatever is there. They're not distractions. They're just what's there. Yeah. And commune with God with that. But hang in there with him when you're yeah. having those distracted feelings like the James Bond movie. Don't race away like, oh, this right. isn't working. Uh, I can't seem to focus and concentrate. So what's the point? Yeah. But hang in there with God and say, I feel a little bit angry and grumpy myself. Right. So that's exactly right. Stick with it. And it's not it's not like your time of prayer should end when you, you know, go back out into the activities of your day and your family and your job or whatever. Continue to learn how to commune. And there's some of this in the book, but continue to learn how to commune with him, even as you're engaging with everything else you're doing. Uh, I talked about that in chapel this morning, this idea of simultaneity, living on two levels at the same time. So it's great when you can be alone and quiet and solitude and just focus on your communion with God. And if that's fruitful, great. If it's frustrating, fine. As you get up and leave that place and go back into your ordinary life, continue to cultivate an awareness of God's presence. One of the sections in the book is the truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, Talk a little bit about that, because if you can be that truthful with God all the time, you're going to be way ahead of way ahead yeah, in that, your prayer life. That section is really about confession. Yeah, which again is an area, especially for uh, white American evangelicalism, we tend not to practice confession because the attitude is, well, Christ forgave me for all my sins, past, present, and future on the cross. Why do I have to dwell on that? Again, you're not informing him. It's not about making sure he knows what's going on. In you confession, in the truest sense of the word, means to say the same thing. So when we confess, what we're doing is we're telling God the truth of what's in us. So if it's sin, we confess our sins, fine, we're, we're revealing the sin that's in us. It doesn't have to be sin. It can be good stuff that's in you that you're confessing to God. Confession is about being honest. So again, it's the, it's the foundation, it's the prerequisite of all prayer. If we don't cultivate self-awareness, we will not know how to build intimate relationships with anyone let alone God. And that's, ironically, this is going to sound like an overstatement, I would argue that most of our churches, at least in American white evangelicalism, are designed to help us bury the truth rather than expose it. We come Hmm. to Sunday hoping that I will be distracted for an hour, an hour and a half from the reality of my life so that I can feel refreshed and I don't have to deal with reality. Many of our pastors, and I've been one of them, don't want to talk about reality in their sermons. They don't want to talk about what's going on in the news. They don't want to talk about what's going on in the streets. They don't want to talk about the controversial issues because we have designed our churches to deny reality. And we want to give people an oasis where they can get away from reality for an hour and a half and feel euphoric feelings about God and then head back into the real world on Monday. But that's not training people for real intimacy. 
We have to learn to be honest in our preaching, in our praying, in our worship. We need room for lament and celebration, for confession and absolution. We need all of it. And this one-dimensional approach to church is it's leading to spiritual retardation in our intimacy with God and our mission in the world. So that's what that's what it's really about, to be honest and to commit to the truth and nothing but the truth. Mm-hmm. All right. I've got a comment when we come back from break about what you just said. And I'll uh, I'll ask Scott Jathani when we come back. Justin Jepson is here as well. And we're chatting about his new book, If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to the show. Scott Jothani is in studio with Justin Jepson. We're chatting, chatting about his new book, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? And before the break, Sky and Justin, we were chatting about uh, being, um, I don't know, what was the word we were talking about in terms of pastors talking about relevant things? Being honest. Being honest, yeah. and I'm all for that. I, but I want to I wanna hear a pastor uh, just teach right from God's Word. I'm more inclined to want to be in a smaller group setting outside of the service with other like-minded believers and talking about more uh, newsworthy issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't necessarily want to hear it from the pastor. Yeah. Okay. I I understand that. And I think it, I don't think it's an either or. Here, okay. here, here's my argument. I would argue that the reason, a significant reason we are in the moment we're in, in much of the American church, all the division going on, all of the controversy, you know, it, ironically, it's not because our churches are talking about politics. It's because for decades we haven't been. And as a result, can you, here's a hypothetical. Imagine you have a pastor who refuses to talk about anything related to marriage or sexuality because it's too controversial. If your church leaders refuse to talk about that topic, that's essentially surrendering that territory to the culture, saying our people are going to have their views on these issues defined by the media they engage rather than the teaching that's coming from the leadership of our church. That's what we've done for about 30 or 40 years at least, maybe longer, depending on your church tradition, when it comes to the social dynamics of the gospel. We've basically said we don't want to go near it because it's too controversial. We don't want to talk about the public implications of our faith. We're not going to talk about it. And therefore, the people in our churches on on the left and on the right have had their imagination shaped by the media rather than by the gospel. And now we're looking at the fruit of that, and people are dividing and churches are splitting and everyone's losing their minds. And I think it's because we surrendered that territory for decades rather than just go, you know what? As Karl Barth said, you need to hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And we need to teach people the public dimensions and implications of the gospel as it relates to life in Minneapolis or Minnesota or the United States or wherever we find ourselves and not shy away from that. The New Testament is full of this. Paul dealt with some of the most controversial political and cultural dynamics of his day. We're talking about sexuality. We're talking about Jewish and Gentile relations. We're talking about the kingdom of God as it relates to the kingdom of man, Caesar and and Rome, right? I mean, these are hugely controversial issues which got Christians martyred and killed in the first century. They didn't shy away from it. They didn't ignore it. 
I think a lot of the problem the church is in today is we have surrendered massive territory to the culture and the media in discipleship because we, quote unquote, focus on a spiritual gospel rather than a social gospel. And there are social implications to what we believe, and we can't shy away from it. That can happen in the pulpit. It can happen in a small group, but it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Justin, you have thoughts on that? Because I'm thinking right now. Yeah, well, and honestly, I think that what I'm thinking back to is some of your comments, Guy, about self-awareness and prayer, right? And the thing is about I can't become more self-aware by myself. And and I think we, I mean, I can. There's certain things, right? But I need to learn how to do that. Yeah. So in the same way that, that the disciples didn't learn how to pray, they did learn how to pray by certain people. They said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. And mm-hmm. I think as part of we view... Um, prayer in general, and I think life in particular, so much as an individual basis. So if we're going to learn to pray like Jesus prayed, we need to learn how to pray in a new way together. Absolutely. Right? And so it's like, so I'm just wondering if someone's out, you know, like a listener is wondering, okay, where do I, where do I start? What's an on-ramp? What's a a first couple steps of learning how, how to step outside of myself and learn how to pray individually? Yes, but I actually really need to do that in the context of community. It is, it is a both hand in terms of the private prayer and communal prayer. Yeah, uh, two things come to mind. When it comes to how do I learn to pray on my own, I would begin with the prayer book that Jesus and his apostles used, which is the Psalms. Hmm. Those are 150 prayers of God's people, some individuals, some corporate, that are brutally honest. And not just reading those Psalms and reciting those Psalms, but quietly, deliberatively meditating on those words. Search me and know me, O God. Okay, just say it. And then invite the Holy Spirit to search you and know you. Um, and go on through them. I mean, there's prayers of confession. There's prayers of lament. There's prayers of anger. And allow those words to provoke your own inner um, searching and expression to God. So that I would use that privately and personally. Corporately, uh, I this practice became alive for me when I was a college student and I had a mentor who was uh, an older adult and I saw in him a, a man of prayer that I wanted to be. And I just went to him and I said, listen, I, you've got an ability to pray that no one's ever taught me. Will you teach me? And he took me under his wing and he taught me how to pray. And he, he would drive me out to the state park five miles from campus. We'd walk those trails. He would talk about what prayer is. He would model it for me and he'd send me out on my own. Like he he was a spiritual father to me to teach me how to do that. So do what you can on your own. Use scripture as your guide and then look for someone in your life who models this, a spiritual mother or father, and then be so bold to ask them as the disciples asked Jesus, teach me how to pray. I look at some of the Psalms and you think of Psalm 88 where Heman is at the end of the Psalm. Hey, there's no hope. <laughs> yeah. There's no hope. He said, I'd rather be asleep than be in your presence. Yeah. I mean, who talks that way to God? And, you know, God says, I will leave that in the Psalter. Yeah. That's, that one stays, you know. Yeah, that's, I think people f- largely misunderstand what the Psalms are for. They're not a bunch of promises. They're not, um, it's not even good systematic theology. The Psalms are a window into the human divine relationship and all the facets of that relationship, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's a a glimpse at what a real authentic relationship with God looks like. And sometimes it's ugly and nasty and full of doubts and anger and grief and pain, but it's real. 
These are real people struggling with a real God. And I'm glossing over the fact that there's also a lot of celebration and joy and gratitude and, right. you know, so, but it's all there and it validates your experience wherever you may be in your own life with God. And I think sometimes we inadvertently communicate, especially to young people, that if you're struggling, if you have doubts, if you have grief and pain, that you can't figure out what to do with God, then you can't be a good Christian. And people end up walking away from the faith because they've been given this one-dimensional vision of what it means to live with God, and they don't fit in that one dimension. And if we would just open up the Psalms to them and go, look at these crazy, screwed-up people who nonetheless continued in their communion with God, you can too. And he can he can deal with you as you are, where you are. And that's the authenticity I think a lot of people in our culture are looking for. And when they look at Christian communities or they look at some of our churches and they only see that one dimension— I can't, I can't fit in here. My life's too messy for that. When I think of Paul addressing the Ephesians in chapter one, and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when we talk to people about the Lord or coming to faith, how exciting it is for us to tell them about the great joy of answered prayer. And, and I think secretly behind that, those thoughts are some, ideas that you might improve your situation in a really big way. That's not always the the case. Sometimes you come to faith and although you have God in your life, your life can get worse. Yeah. Well, 11 of the 12 disciples ended up dead. Yeah. Jesus ended up on a cross. Yeah. The history is full of this, this American um, false gospel that coming to Jesus always means your life's going to get better and more comfortable, more prosperous. It's a subtle form of the prosperity gospel. Mm Mm-hmm. It's everywhere in American Christianity because it's everywhere in American culture. Um, Just recently I had a conversation with a political consultant and we were talking about where the evangelical church is right now. And I was thinking back to 15 years ago, maybe I was at a a pastor's conference, 15,000 pastors in this arena, big conference, very well-known pastor speaker on the main stage who you would know if I said the name. And he did this whole talk from Jeremiah about leadership and I forget the exact verse, but somewhere in there, there's about Jeremiah living humbly. And um, and this pastor did this whole talk about how the, the humility of, of Nehemiah gave him moral credibility with the people he led. And the whole talk was about how we need to lead with more moral credibility because then people will follow us. And it goes on and on and on. And I was just twitching in my seat listening to this because right in the Bible verse, it said that Nehemiah lived humbly because he feared the Lord. It wasn't because he was doing it as a leadership tactic to get people to follow him. He did it because he understood the character of our God and he was living in obedience to him. But in American Christianity, we've made everything pragmatic. You, you lead this way because people will follow. You pray this way because you'll get it answered. You keep your sexuality and morality within these boundaries because then you'll have a blessed life, marriage, whatever. And that permeates American Christianity. But the thought that I would actually live the way I'm called to live because I want to live in deep intimacy with God himself and experience his presence in my life, that is not the vision that gets held up in most of American Christianity. And then we wonder, why don't people pray? Because prayer is about intimacy with a God. And if you don't want God, you just want what you can get from him, then prayer just becomes, you know, putting money in a vending machine that I pull once in a while to get what I want. And and so this issue gets down to the fundamental misunderstanding we have about faith in the American church. And we have that misunderstanding because a lot of our ministries are designed to attract an audience and a crowd rather than really make disciples. It's really good. Really good. 
It's been really nice having you here. I will definitely have to listen to this episode a second time to see if, <laughs> to see to see if I agree with you on several things. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm here but to that's put, good. push some buttons and then leave. No, no, I like that. You know, uh, because it's it sometimes it's hard to take in all at once, mm-hmm. and I, I'm a slow processor. Um, I was a C student, so sometimes it just takes me a little extra time to think th- through things. Well, that's what the drawings are for. That Those yeah. help. Yeah. Those help. And there's uh, about 53 chapters, did you say? Yeah, but they're short. They're short. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you treat this like a little devotional as well? Indeed, yeah. yeah. I, um, I write a daily devotional, and I talk about it frequently as a devotional for people who hate devotionals. Yeah. So that's where some of this content was first tested. Was in that setting. So 53 devotionals, one for every week. It's it's perfect. Yeah, go get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Justin, thank you for bringing in Sky. Hey, absolutely. It's great yeah. to be here with you Sky guys. Sky Jathani's been my guest. His book is called What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer. It's got some great doodles in it, all done by Sky himself. Uh, thanks again for being here. It's really been nice to have you here in studio. Thanks. That wraps up our time with Sky. Again, the book is What If Jesus Was Seri- Serious About Prayer. You can go to his uh, website, skyjethani, J-E-T-H-A-N-I dot com, S-K-Y-E. Hopefully that was not too confusing. That's all the time we have. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.